I'm Angela Saini. I've dedicated my career to understanding how science sits in the world and how the world sits in relation to scientific knowledge. I have a foot in both worlds, one within academia, writing about research, but also outside the establishment as a science journalist and critic. The Institute of Physics, the British and Irish body that represents professional physicists and publishes groundbreaking research, asked me to host this series of discussions. We've called them Looking Glass, and our goal is to explore the kind of conversations we need to have to make science more representative. This series is about society, and in each episode we'll hear frank and honest conversations between both fresh and more established voices from across disciplines on the major cultural talking points of now. But first, I wanted to find out why the Institute of Physics is having these conversations and why now, in their hundredth year. Rachel Youngman is the Deputy Chief Exec of the IOP. Rachel, why have you commissioned this series? Yeah, I was thinking back to a couple of years ago, and the Institute of Physics at the time was based in an area of London called Portland Place. And Portland Place, it's um, a very old, traditional environment. It's beautiful. It's got beautiful old houses, and they've all got big wrought iron doors and very ornate. And I think, actually, I managed to break the the door handle on the second day I arrived at IOP. (laughs) It's a very beautiful area. It's kind of classic. It's very classically (laughs) London. And if you took the cars away and replaced it with horses and carriages, you'd have a scene right out of Pride and Prejudice. But, you know, then we decided to move what, you know, it's it's 10 minutes up the road. But, you know, it's like two centuries away because there we are suddenly in this area around King's Cross, which is, you know, the the major station in London. And it's where the trains go to uh, go to the continent as well. And there you've got Google and you've got Welcome and, you know, all these sort of the crick is there. And and we were moving into this really vibrant regeneration area of, of London. So completely different, total contrast to each other. And, you know, I think that was the physical move we did. But then we opened our doors and there's the whole of society being played out, you know, in the uh, in its extreme forms. But of course, that's not enough. You've then got to try and and get people to engage with you. And it's it's not as simple as just opening your doors. You've then got to really think about how you get those different voices. And and the the podcast series for me is one really good way to do that because we can reach audiences and we can have conversations with different people that is, you know, just very difficult to do in an, in any other format. So, you know, I think this has been a bit of a dream of mine to be able to to almost do the cultural change that we needed, that we did through the move. But, you know, it's more than that. It has to be much deeper than that. And it has to, at the end of the day, I think, be about listening It's interesting because we live in this very virtual world at the moment, but where you are really does matter. I think a lot of people feel that scientific institutions are removed from them, not just philosophically, but materially, that they're positioned in places where they can't reach them, campuses or, you know, in kind of ivory tower cities far away. But being in a place as socially diverse and central 
as King's Cross has really kind of brought that home for you then, that the need to reach out and think about the world that the Institute sits in? I think that's absolutely right. And it, of course, it's not just about a building. You know, our building is in, in King's Cross and it's a very, as I say, it's a it's a really vibrant part of, of London that's undergone a lot of change. But, you know, it's also then not just the bricks and mortar, it's the culture of the organisation. You know, how do we modernise and how do we reach out to people and be an active part of society? And I think, you know, for me, that's the, that's the thing that we still have to work hard at. Um, and we have to get better at doing that and and make ourselves, I suppose the word we would use is relevant. And, you know, every organisation, every institution wants to be relevant in the modern world. But the question is, how do you do that? So I think, you know, going through this period of listening, listening to different voices, both the podcast, but we're doing it in many different ways, has to be a good start of almost taking that uh, that move, that bricks and mortar move, and just making sure that it absolutely runs through the whole of what we do. So 2020, obviously, is a very big year. So much has happened this year. And it's also been a year, I think, that science has shot up the agenda, the importance of science as it sits in society, its interaction with politics, the role that it plays in our lives. What now, after 100 years of the IOP being in existence, what now then are the fresh challenges do you think that you're facing as an organisation? Well, I think this year, I mean, has been absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's been horrific for people. And, you know, I I don't come from a background of of science. I come from a background of working in social issues, social inequality and human rights and so forth. And, you know, even for me, who spent most of my career in that environment, I don't think any of us have been more shocked at just the reminders of some of the challenges that society faces around things like health and and the inequality that exists in in health and you know what we've seen in terms of black lives matter and and the protests around the world including here i think there are a couple of things i would say first of all you know the institute of physics or any institution has to be an active part of society you know, the, we're, we're physicists are citizens and, uh, you know, citizens, I think, you know, there's never a more important time for people to be active and to participate and to understand and to talk and to listen and to learn and to make systemic changes. So I think just on that level, you know, we, we need to do that and we need to be part, an active part of society. When it comes to the science and the physics, I think what's been really fascinating for me this year, and society is seeing something they normally don't. You know, normally it's it's kind of all taking place in a lab that there's this um, research happening and they're dealing with all the uncertainty that scientists deal with and trying to, trying to find that certainty, all the data, all the modelling of that data. And normally as a society, we don't see that. And yet here we are seeing it you know, every day, you know, it's just being played out in our sitting rooms on our TVs. And and I think that's a really interesting place for society to be. But I think it's a really interesting place for Western science to be. What I don't know, and, and it will be interesting to see how society judges Western science as we come out of this. And I think the, the podcast series, we kind of touch on this a little bit, because we look at Western science, but we also look at 
other science and belief systems uh, for indigenous communities and and also some of the things that we can learn in terms of health and inequality of of healthcare from places like Africa where they are really advanced in using technology and things. And sometimes we do tend, I think, to live in a bit of a bubble and say, look, you know, we've got all the answers. But I think it will be really interesting to see how society starts to look more broadly at where it gets its knowledge from and what that means in terms of science. So, so yeah, a fascinating year and, gosh, still, you know, such a lot to to unfold and we haven't even started with, you know, things like the true force of the economic fallout and what that's going to mean to inequality as well. So I think, you know, institutions have to be more present than ever in society and more willing to communicate and to listen as well. I want to come back to that, but can we just back up a little bit? Because you said that you don't have a background in science. Your background is in social issues, human rights. So how did you end up at the IOP? What did you do before? I worked, um, well, I I spent a long time working in uh, the sort of international legal uh, profession. um, And I did a lot of uh, projects around the world, sort of cross-border projects uh, on different uh, aspects of, of law. And also on on human rights, um, so working on on different projects and the impact of human rights on on different subject areas. Um, but I, I think more for recently, for the last twenty years, I've really been working for in social inequality issues. So for trying to support young people who are often excluded from education or at risk of exclusion from education, um, kids who might be, um, you know, at risk of ending up in the criminal justice system. I do find it remarkable. I've been a science journalist for many years now, and my experience with institutions, whether they be universities or scientific institutions like this, is that um, people don't talk about science as Western science, which is the phrase that you've used, or cultural context on different knowledge systems. What has brought about this radical change in the way that, for example, someone like you who sits at, you know, near the head of the Institute of Physics, to be talking in using this kind of language? I think it is a a reflection of well look first of all this is physics you know so uh, physics is um, I always think although I, I I stopped studying it when I was sixteen you know I always think it is the science that just you know tells you so much about the world and the world that you live in and the unknown and you know I think there's something rather incredible about physics and it sort of lends itself to opening up to some really interesting conversations and we've done that at the Institute of Physics I mean we've had uh, people talk about indigenous communities and their belief systems. And so, you know, I think it is, I feel that we are quite progressive, progressive as a, as a science, but also progressive as an institution. But, you know, we have to, we have to live in the real world. And the fact is the world changes. If we don't, I think, like any institution, particularly one that's 100 years old, you can very quickly lose your, your relevance. It's not far from being progressive to being establishment. It is scarily close sometimes. And I think, you know, that's another reason why for an organisation like ours, we need to keep pace with modern society. And and that's quite challenging. That is not an easy thing to do. Well, one of the barriers to that, of course, is that in Europe, at least, and particularly in Britain, the physics uh, community remains very male, remains... 
very white. Yep. Um, what kind of change is needed on that front? I think there are a couple of things I would say on that. I mean, the first is that we need to make physics, the physics community, a more inclusive one. And what do I mean by that? It means that there has to be more equality of voices um, and that people have to be valued for what they bring um, and the differences that people have, you know, the the unique backgrounds, the unique experiences. You want all of that in um, in in a, a profession in 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 physics. So unless we really push hard at that, then I think we're going to have a problem with people sticking with it. Um, and that's you know something that I think we all have to work really hard at it. The, the the institution, the Institute of Physics, can do that, but I think the physics community has to do it too. And and that's. Unless we do, I think we will be back to this. I know there's a statistic that we use that something like in England, 70% of, of physicists come from 30% of, of schools. And, you know, that, that's not what you want. You want a, a community that is made up of different voices and that those voices have a place and a respect. I think the other part of the equation is to get more young people to continue with physics and to do physics, and certainly not enough do, and to make sure that that's representative as well. But I think, you know, these are all very easy words, and, and you know, lots of organisations will say, well, we want to be inclusive and we welcome other voices and, and so forth, but it's putting that into to action. And one thing I think we have learnt, and you know, we make mistakes. Um, we we don't always get things right, but I think the one thing we have learnt is that we have to be active in that. You know, you can't be passive. You can't sit back and say, "Well, look, we've got this great building in King's Cross. We're the Institute of Physics, so you know, you're all going to rock up and talk to us," because it just doesn't work like that. You know, so we have to be much better at being active and going out and seeking these voices, not just expecting people to come to us. And I think for too long we've probably done more of of that sitting back and expecting people to come and you know that's the thing we've got to reverse aside from that kind of institutional inertia which i think lots of lots of different organizations yeah. suffer from where else do you see resistance and i'm saying this particularly because there have been physicists who feel that there there is no problem within the phys- within <laughs> physics that everything is fine they're doing a really good job look at all the wonderful things that physicists have done why do we need to kind of broaden uh, horizons in this way or be more representative? Maybe physics just represents the people who are interested in it. Isn't physics better? Isn't the actual physics going to be better if it is more representative of society? You know, you kind of want... Physicists do really important work. You know, I, I know enough about physics to understand that much, that there's a lot that they do about finding solutions to things and problems that we have in society. I think it is for society's interests that there is a representation there. Um, and so, you know, I would say that it isn't enough if those voices, different voices, aren't being heard and aren't being welcomed and aren't able to stay in physics. So I think, you know, that we we have to push on that because that isn't good for physics. It's not good for the physicists. But I would argue, as someone from outside physics, knowing what I do now, that it's not enough 
for society either. I think where we need, and by we I mean the physics community needs to do better, is communicating and really communicating a, a, a strong message about that. And, you know, that's something that an institution can do. We can provide a platform for that. And, you know, we kind of talk about the word privilege is used a lot uh, these days, but I do think it is a privilege that we have a platform um, and that platform can, you know, reach all the way to decision makers, policy changes, etc. And I think it is a real opportunity for us to provide that platform for different voices now and not to over-dominate it ourselves. And that's really difficult because when you're a leader in an organisation, you kind of feel you have to speak. You know, here I am today speaking. But I think it is, it is right that we start using that platform in a different way and get other people to feel that they can amplify their voices through the Institute of Physics. How is it that you're going to draw people in from backgrounds that haven't usually gone in? I think we can do it. I think we can, and we're seeing that a little bit. We're certainly seeing it from a younger generation where we can bring people in through the kind of, you know, public events and public dialogue that we, we do. Um, is it enough? No. It's a, you know, it's a small uh, number of people and we need to get better at pushing those messages out. And it's one of the reasons why we've decided to move to a more campaigning model so that we can encourage and make the changes that are needed to encourage more young people to find out about physics and to do physics. And we think there are some barriers to them doing that. So, you know, there are barriers uh, like the media um, and social media. And there are barriers in schools, in the education system that prevent, you know, something like, I think it's 0.5% of physicists at the moment come from, uh, are of black Caribbean descent. And that's against something like 1.4% of the population. So, you know, we've, we've got a way to go until we represent and reflect society. So I think we can do that. I think the more difficult thing, um, the more challenging thing for us is to be relevant to all physicists and particularly those who do come from underrepresented groups because if you are an institution that is 100 years old, it is very easy, as I've said, to look like you're you know, a bit part of the establishment, a bit of the, the past and not the future. And it's one of the reasons, again, for doing this, uh, this podcast series is so that we as an organisation also have the chance to sit back and to really listen to different voices and what's happening in society and what uh, what uh, the role of, of physics and physicists is in that society so that we can learn from it and, and see what changes we have to make and what our future looks like. Um, because there's no doubt that there will be things that we have to do differently. And just as our founders had those conversations, you know, 100 years ago, um, you know, when they said, do you think it would be a good idea to have a professional body for physicists? You know, we, in a way, we're doing the same thing again now, saying, OK, well, we have a professional body for physicists, but what does it look like? What does society look like and what's coming up? What are the trends over the next 10, 15 years that might help us to understand our place in that society? What do you think? Um, what do you think lies behind the reasons for 
the low numbers of ethnic minorities that we see within physics in this country, and particularly, as you say, people from black Afro-Caribbean backgrounds? I think in our, I mean, we've done some research around this, which has been really interesting to see. And I think there is a, there's always the old thing that said, and I'm sure you've heard this many times, Angela, that, you know, well, physics is a very difficult subject. You know, it's very hard to do. And that can be in itself quite a, a barrier. And if if the trusted opinions of young people are based on, well, you know, it is a hard subject or it's not really a subject for for girls, it's a subject for boys or you're not really encouraged at school to do it because of your ethnicity, then, you know, it's not a far stretch to see why young people are being deterred. And we do hear that from young people themselves. But also we know it from, you know, talking to, to parents and, and uh, the work that we've done in, in schools that this does happen. The question is, how do we how do we change that? Interestingly, one of the things that we did hear is that we, we spoke to different businesses and both in science, but also outside science as well. And something like 70, I think it was about 75, maybe a little bit more, 75 percent of businesses said they really value uh, someone with a physics qualification when they're hiring. Um, you know, that it, it speaks to the the quality of the person, the ability that they have to problem solve and analyze information and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there, there is a, a strong uh, route for young people, but there are barriers in the way. And I think that's something we have got to address. And we're only going to do that if we focus on those opinions that young people are trusting um, and try and, and make changes there. So, yeah, I, th I think the, the essence of us campaigning and getting a little bit more shouty, um, I mean, I quite like that because I think, you know, I come from, as I said, a background where rattling the cage is, uh, is something you do on a regular basis. So I think it's not something we can change unless we're willing to, to rattle a few cages. Um, and that will be interesting to see how that plays out for all sorts of audiences. It's interesting about, you know, physics being seen as a harder subject and that maybe being a barrier for people because I, I went to a state school myself. It was a majority white state school, but we did have ethnic minorities. And in maths, in my maths and physics classes, there were a higher number of ethnic minorities, I think. And I think statistically in this country, if you are an ethnic minority, you're more likely to take maths at A level than other ethnic groups. So it's not necessarily just about the difficulty of the subject. And certainly I know in my physics class, my teacher once wanted to demonstrate how darker materials absorb heat more than lighter materials by getting the one black boy in the class to have hot wax poured <gasps> on his skin and then get a white kid to have yeah. the same thing done to them and then see that the black kid felt more pain. I wonder if that degree of racism is also a factor here. It's not just about the choices people make, but the fact that they're treated differently. Yeah, and I would think so. But that happens in in so many different walks of life, doesn't it? Whether you're in physics or, you know, I've, I've as I said, I worked in youth charities and they're working with, with young people who are at risk of education and at risk of not being in, in education, you know, of being excluded or, um, you know, under the care of the youth offenders team or whatever. And, you know, often it was, it is just systemic racism. 
and, you know, young kids just being trapped in that and not able to get out of that. And that's horrific to see. And so, you know, I think if it happens in society, it's going to happen in physics. Um, it's not going to be different because, you know, physics is, is part of society and that's what we've got to change. And that's where I think physics needs to be really, um, really present and active in society, not just in physics, if we're going to make some significant changes. But, you know, I think all those stories are, are horrific and, and uh, you know, that is a, unfortunately, that is a, a symptom of the country. And there are challenges. And I think sometimes these are really difficult conversations because I think people want to, you know, kind of not hear the difficult stuff sometimes. And maybe this year has been part of us being challenged and saying, actually, we do need to hear these difficult things. And we need to address them and be open to hearing them and having difficult conversations. You know, this year has been interesting as well, because as well as Black Lives Matter, we've had this pandemic. And like I was saying earlier, it's kind of really shot to prominence the importance that scientists play in society and also the way that they interact with politicians. We've seen these kind of very tense debates happening between politicians <laughs> and policymakers and scientists. And it's been quite strange to see, I think, because we're not, you, we don't usually see that happening, but they do happen all the time. Yeah. Do you think that needs to happen more, that physicists and scientists more broadly need to insert themselves into society more and be part of these political and social debates? Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's also shown that there needs to be more people with science in politics as well. And I don't know what the statistics are, but, you know, it, I think having informed politicians who really understand the science, that has to be a good thing. So I think when we talk about getting more people to, to study physics or to, to go into sciences, I think it's not just about them. You know, we, th we have a, sometimes a very narrow lens about that or you want more in research, which we do. But I think we also want them in other walks of life as well so that science is really there, as I say, really embedded in society and able to have these discussions, but to do it in, in an informed way. I mean, you would have to ask some Germans whether they find that having Angela Merkel as a, as a physicist has been a benefit or not. But, you know, it has to be a good thing to have politicians who come from that science world. And in terms of the series then, because it's, you know, there's, there's lots of exciting voices that we're going yeah. to hear from, but can you, can you give us some examples of what we're going to hear? I think the thing for me is stepping back from it and thinking about the different voices, but also how the, the cultures, you know, the different way of looking at things in different parts of the world. So, you know, hearing about people who work with indigenous communities or hearing about the work that is done by physicists in Africa and, you know, what that means in terms of, uh, of progression of, of healthcare in Africa and what we can learn from, from that. One that I think I was really keen to see, and it's always a bit of a risky one for, a, for an institution like ours, is the, is the subject of cancel culture. And, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious that we live in a society that's really fast paced and, you know, social media is part of that. And I actually try and my best to sort of keep away from Twitter and Facebook a little bit. But I think, you know, that whole 
that whole sort of pace that you get from social media um, and what that means, the good that it brings, sometimes the not so good, but what that means for, for an institution like ours. You know, we are never going to turn on a dime. You know, institutions just struggle to do that. But what we do have is the structure and the processes and all the rest of it, the platform to, I think, you know, allow people to get their views across. But we're very conscious we're doing that in a difficult environment when we hit up against social media. Um, so I think that that whole thing about um, cancel culture is, is, for me, a fascinating one and very, very topical. So, Rachel, all these changes that you're trying to bring about within the organisation, everything that's contained within these podcasts, the discussions that are happening, how do you plan to make those real within the organisation, to bring about the change that you want? I think it goes back to the work that was done by the founders of the organisation 100 years ago. They set the direction for the organisation and we want these conversations to set the direction for our organisation. So, you know, I, I would like to see a blueprint for a modern organisation coming out of this. I think there's more to discuss. I think there is more around other subjects that we would want to discuss. I think podcasts give us that opportunity, but it is about creating a blueprint for the future and for taking action. We have to be about action, not just about talking. Well, thank you so much, Rachel Youngman. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I hope everybody looks forward to this series. Thank you very much. Looking Glass is a chalk and blade production for the Institute of Physics. The producer is Fatuma Keira. The executive producer is Ruth Barnes. Original music by Alex Port-Felix. Sound mix by Nicola Rofast. The executive producer for the IOP is Louise Swan. And the series was commissioned by Rachel Youngman. The Institute of Physics is campaigning for more young people from diverse backgrounds to study physics. For more information, please visit iop.org forward slash limitless. Listener.